Welcome to Chaintech, the show and podcast focusing on the latest trends in supply chain, procurement, and logistic technology. My name is Max Henry from the Global Supply Chain Council, and together with my co-host and special guest, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in supply chain. From early stage to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help drive more innovative, agile, and resilient supply chain around the world. This is Chantech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chantech. My name is Max Henry from the Global Supply Chain Council. And I'm joined today with my co-host, Shandan Laxman. Hi, Shandan. How are you? Hi, uh, Max. Uh, good to be here with you and also with the uh, host uh, participants here with Michael and Beke. And uh, I'm, I'm based in India. Uh, I'm a consultant of supply chain uh, with various industry ties to threads. So I uh, would be very glad to join you with, with the discussion here. Over to you, Max. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of the show as we continue to host some of the most interesting chain tech founders and discuss the rapid rise of supply chain, logistic, and procurement technology across the APAC region, Europe, and North America. As we jump in today's conversation, I want to make sure that you are uh, also aware of our Chantech platform that we recently launched at Chantech.net. And you can also find all the previous episodes of those interviews on Chantech.show. So today I'm joined by uh, Berke Adelim, who is the founder and CEO of Camion, based in Turkey, together with Michael Freeman, uh, who is uh, an investor of um, uh, Camion, also based in China. So I'll let uh, both of them introduce themselves. Yeah, so thanks. It's great being here. Uh, my name is Berke. Um, I've been working uh, in operations intensive businesses since the age of 12. Started in the summers. These include procurement departments, logistics departments, warehousing departments. Between 2010 and 2019, I lived in the U.S. I am originally from Turkey. And my time in the U.S. was spent getting my undergrad degree. I worked two years in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and then I did my grad school in New York. All these experiences were effectively focused on data and algorithms and and uh, doing large-scale analysis on large slots of data. So co- coming back to Turkey in 2019, I now saw how data and algorithms and software could add efficiency to operations-intensive businesses. And hence, after a little market research, Kamyon was born. Okay, Michael? Hi, I'm Mike Friedman from Reflect Ventures. We invest in B2B and B2B2C in emerging markets. We focus on logistics, supply chain, distribution, transport, and fintech. Okay, so I want to go back on your background, Becky, and understand uh, what you did uh, before actually starting uh, Camion. Have you, did you have any corporate job before starting the company? I, my only work experience was involved in a startup, and we were building a platform that was connecting just as Kamyon is connecting truckers with loads, we were connecting data scientists with large companies, Fortune 50, Fortune 10, through a platform that we were building. So what did you, um, what did you get started with Kamyon? What was the, uh, the idea of starting with this company? So 
It was mostly a function of my own background through a young age, uh, because I was really involved, deeply involved with operations intensive business before even my professional life started. And I saw firsthand how logistics worked, how warehousing worked, how procurement worked. And I, through my time in U.S., I also learned how data and algorithms and software can add efficiency to industries. Coming back to Turkey, um, I was either going to work at a corporate job or I was going to go ahead and, and, and try to build my own company. And what happened is when you look at Turkey, it's in a very advantageous position. Uh, along trade routes connecting the east and the west, trucking accounts for a very large percent of GDP. So taking my own background into account and Turkey's lucky position in terms of the geographical landscape into account, we have decided to build Kamyon after after a period of brief market research. So in one sentence, what is a company doing? So we're effectively in very, very summarized way. We're building the Uber for trucks for Turkey and the surrounding regions. Uh, we go to large companies, we act as the only point of contact for them, and we source them trucks through technology. Uh, that's a very brief summary, and if you want me to, we can always dive, dive deeper into exactly what we do. So what kind of problem are you solving with Camion? So, well, traditionally, when you look at logistics operations, uh, there's a lot of manual work involved, uh, whether it be on the trucker side or whether it be on the company side. There's a lot of email, Excel, spreadsheets, uh, and phone calls. And what we're doing is through our platform, we're trying to take all that data, put it in a structured manner so that we can have it in one place, analyze it, and add efficiency to both sides of the platform. We're effectively delegating what humans used to do, uh, the manual things, to software so that humans can have free time to think about strategy and growth more efficiently. What are some of the biggest benefits that you see uh, with a solution, especially when you are selling the solution to your, so if I understand well, your main customers are uh, end-user shippers, right? Yes. And what what do you think are the biggest benefits for them in using Camion? Well, first things, you have to do the basics very well. And the basics are pricing, uh, high operational performance, and emerging in emerging markets, you have to have a trustworthy pool of carriers. Once you have that in place, the the main differentiator for us becomes building the technology. And we have over time effectively become quite good at understanding exactly what our corporate cost, corporate users need in terms of visibility and control into their supply chain. And we can build these solutions for them. It's very hard for traditional logistics companies to do that, mainly because they have been around for. Uh... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Shandan, you're muted. If you want to. Uh... Uh, how do you solution compare against some of the most established all-in-one enterprises suits? Uh, what is your company sweet spot? I mean, so in the sense, are... how, how will you leverage your company? That's the question. So there are there are. Uh... Two main spaces we see, let's say three main spaces we see when you go to large corporate customers in terms of the solutions they use. Uh, there are TMS systems that we call transportation management systems that don't get into the operations of the business that much. They don't take responsibility of hauling the load, but they provide a software suite for everyone to have the data in one place. The second type of services is traditional logistics companies. They take, they, they take responsibility of hauling the load, but they can't necessarily build the software. The third is freight forwarders, digital freight forwarders like ourselves. We can do both. 
And so what we do is we go to large companies and tell them, okay, we will be your only point of contact. We will hold these loads for you. We will take care of the operations. We will take full responsibility. On top of that, we'll help you build uh, your internal workflows on the software that's going to help you manage all the data that you collect and analyze it and add efficiency to your operations. That's where we differentiate ourselves because we can do both operations and software uh, well. Okay, that's great. And uh, what uh, I would like to ask you one uh, the personal question. Like you, you were all in all uh, right from data, like PwC. I think you worked with PwC, PwC as an intern uh, in the initial days. So, how do you graduate into trucking? You know, how what is that passion of yours that made you to switch into trucking? So, when you when you look at my time spent before 2010, I was in Turkey and I have was born in Istanbul, but I grew up in a small rural city called Kütahya, where manufacturing was very, very prevalent. Basically, the only thing the city had was manufacturing. And I started working in the summers when I was 12. And most of the experiences I got in that city were mostly geared towards logistics and procurement and warehousing. And these experiences continued on until I was in college. During college, I started to do more uh, official internships, including consulting and software and whatnot. But before college, I was fully immersed in um, traditional industries, operations intensive industries. So my experiences in the US basically helped me go back to my youth and see how these experiences could be shaped through software and data and analytics. And also uh, one uh, other question is integrating the structures into your website. Don't you think that is the kind of uh, work that is going to give you a lot of pain in the initial days, maybe? Because uh, talking to these guys, uh, they won't understand a common language. So how do you deal with these guys? So it's, well, first off, I think it's worth mentioning that we as a company are operating at what you call the edges of the internet. Um, the internet has been prevalent since 1995. It's been with the consumers since then, but it is only now that it is it's starting to get to the pockets of the truckers. So we are lucky in that sense that we don't have to buy them phones and we don't have to give them tablets for them to be connected to the internet. So that's a plus for us. In terms of understanding how they operate as users of the internet, understanding their needs and catering to them, there is no one silver bullet it's always a function of staying very close to your users, understanding what they need, and building the whole company backwards from there. So we have built as Kamyon processes within the company that is going to help us do that um, efficiently and consistently. We stay very close to the truckers. We stay very close to the shippers, understand their needs, and cater our technology um, through uh, what they tell us. And so it doesn't have to be a phone app that the truckers use. Uh, you can use you can integrate with uh, various GPS providers, or you can you can use phones uh, phone calls as needed to collect the data. You can use the app to collect the data as needed. Um, so that's how you view collecting the data that's going to make the whole supply chain visible. And over time, of course, as the user needs evolve and as 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 their habits evolve, we have been seeing that they start to use our app much more effectively than they used to a year ago, two years ago. Okay. okay. Be Be before we move on uh, on other questions, I wanted to understand what you know, the uh, 
the market that you're addressing in Turkey. Can you give us an idea of the market size for logistic, uh, you know, in comparison maybe with other countries uh, around Turkey? Sure. And also the type of ecosystem that you are, you know, dealing with in terms of number of tracking companies or, uh, or shippers, you know, so give, give us some numbers. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so Turkey is Middle Eastern North Africa's largest economy and uh, trucking accounts for $36 billion of that economy. The whole logistics market is $73 billion. Half of that is trucking. 90% of all, uh, All, all, all shipments via land is done by trucking. Uh, there are approximately 850,000 truckers. Uh, trucking accounts for 5% to 6% of GDP, which is slightly larger than your average country's trucking, uh, trucking percentage in GDP. That's mainly because of uh, the geographic location that the Turkey is in. 95% of the whole trucking market is comprised of small fleets. These are fleets either with one truck or 10 trucks. And so there's a huge <coughs> opportunity for aggregating all these trucks, making one big fleet out of them to serve shippers that need trucks. How about the free PLs in Turkey? I mean, do you have, I mean, I guess you have uh, the multinational, the foreign free PLs operating, the big boys, but you do you also have local uh, transportation company which have uh, quite, quite, a, quite a big fleet? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We have both. Uh, we have we have global players and local players, both of which are very large. Uh, they, on average, there's, I mean, there isn't very healthy data on this, but what we have seen is on average, 35 to 40% of all revenues come from the trucks they own. The rest is uh, from freight forwarding. So because there are many trucks in Turkey that are independent, um, three PLs have become used to working with other people's trucks than their own trucks, basically. Yeah. I, uh, I, where, yeah. yeah, Shandan. Where do you see, uh, you know, next uh, two years growth, uh, Bakli? I mean, do you uh, find uh, the multiple of excess or how do you uh, state a, a Turkey market as such in the trucking business? Can you, I'm very sorry, can you please repeat the question? Can you elaborate on that? Uh, how big is Turkey market? I mean, uh, if you consider that and how are you going to grow in next two years? I mean, how, how do you see yourself growing in next two years? That's what I meant, actually. So effectively, um, we're a business that has what you call a flywheel effect. The more truckers on our platform, the more, bus- the more shippers, the more shippers on our platform, the more truckers. So it's the math tells you that you have to grow very big uh, and you have to become a market leader, at least locally first. That we are planning on doing in the next year or one and a half years. And then through the momentum that we gain uh, locally, we will be starting to expand into neighboring regions, whether that be Middle East, North Africa, Eastern Europe or uh, the Asian side. Uh, that is still to be seen. But what I can tell you for now is we're definitely shooting to become the market leader locally because that's what makes sense in the business that we're building, mainly because it has what you call a flywheel effect. I'll add something. If you take a look at the map, you will see why people call Turkey the center of the universe or the center of the world. It is smack in between Europe and Central Asia and the Middle East and North Africa. If you're going and sending trucks anywhere from Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, um, Iran, which is politically difficult, Iraq, 
right? Or if you want them to come up from Saudi Arabia, they're going to, ha- and they want to go to Europe, they're going to have to go through Turkey. Uh, Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan used to have the option of a route through Russia and Ukraine. That's dead probably for a decade. So Turkey is the center. And of course, Europe going into any of those regions as well. If you're going to send it by truck, you're sending it through Turkey. Your other options are boats across the Black Sea. That's becoming a more and more dangerous route. Or if you're going to the Middle East, boats across uh, the Mediterranean. But okay. if you're going by truck, it's Turkey. What is the center? What is the current adoption of digital, you know, freight marketplace in a country like Turkey? I can imagine. I mean, we know that the, the concept is working in more mature developing countries, right? But how about Turkey? And you know, and, and do you have any numbers on that? And do you feel that you know the, the hand user shippers, which are manufacturers, retailers, and brand owners, are increasingly adopting that technology? So what we see is. We were very lucky in the sense that despite Turkey being a very large market, that the adoption of digital freight forwarders was relatively low when you look at the West. And I think we should be seeing that as a very important opportunity. And it's a super important point of differentiator, especially when we go visit the large clients, large shippers, and they have not come across a freight forwarder that's able to build technology before. So that's a huge plus for us. Long story short, Global companies that operate here, the likes of Unilever, Pepsi, DHL, they have been working with um, digital freight forwarders in other geographies, but not in Turkey yet. That's a huge opportunity. And they, it, it, when you go and talk to them, they understand exactly why they need digital freight forwarders because other, uh, other regions of their company have been working with them. Besides the large global players, there are very large Turkish players as well in the shippers' domain. And they too have not been yet exposed to digital freight forwarding. So Turkey is largely, largely has not fully adopted uh, the digital freight forwarding model, which I think is a huge opportunity because what we see from our shipper visits is that they are ready to adopt uh, the digital freight forwarding model. It's just that there hasn't been a company that has come across that could do that before. On our side, looking at this across emerging markets, we see that the model works in many markets that have less digital penetration than Turkey. You can look at Truck It In in Pakistan, Trucker across the Middle East, uh, Ami Truck in uh, Nigeria and similar markets, Eli in Egypt, Truck Lagby in Bangladesh. If they can work, it's going to be able to work in a place like Turkey. Yeah. And uh... Uh, Beckley, uh, can you integrate your uh, software into any of these enterprise uh, like a SAP or any other uh, data producer of a big company? Like in case if I want to integrate uh, the tracking part of it into some of the system. So is it possible? Yes, yes. It's something we are currently doing with especially our large global customers who use a TMS or who use an ERP uh, and uh it's a problem that we can easily solve. Yes, we can do that. Okay. That's that's a plus point because, you know, the most of uh, the big companies would like to work like that. You know, they don't want to deviate from their uh, existing system. They integrate their invoices into the transport systems. 100%. I agree. Yeah. Yes. 
Just to go back on competition and 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 the um, the other companies operating in in the space, what you know? So you mentioned Michael, some 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 well-known names in other countries. How about the the international players, companies like Flexport and and the others? You know, are they are they pushing into Turkey? Are they you know is this competition for you guys? So the companies in the West um, have their hands full mostly. So they haven't been trying to penetrate the Turkish market yet. The main competition we see is from other countries in the region, uh, Middle East and North Africa, some in Eastern Europe. Uh, but mainly when we go and visit the shippers and we talk to them and we survey them, we haven't yet come across one that is working with a digital freight forwarder. So that shows us that the penetration of global players, global digital freight forwarders, has not matured yet. And again, we, we, we try to see that as an advantage as much as we can, and we try to utilize that advantage um, when we still have time. Because I don't think it's going to last forever. I think at some point they will decide and enter the Turkish market and compete. So this is a good time to be building a digital freight forwarding model in Turkey at the moment. Okay. Yeah, I, adding to that question, Maxis. Uh, I, I really wonder why uh, the other competitors are not coming into Turkey because the based on uh, the what information uh, it is available, it's a biggest market. I mean, in Europe, it's a biggest market. Is there any particular reason that these competitors are not coming so far? Because this, this is quite a you know uh, 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 topic that I would like to discuss. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a very good question. When you look at the European market, uh, the Euro European market is uh, has a very unique advantage in the sense that when you start operating in one country, you're effectively operating in the majority of the countries in the European Union because they have what you call, you can cross borders without, uh, without much hassle. And if you're a European player, trying to operate in other European countries is much different than trying to operate in a country that's not in the European Union that requires you to build a muscle in terms of dealing with the regulators and dealing with the local dynamics. Going to the other co companies that are operating in the region, Middle East and North Africa, or other parts of the world, the model we have is reasonably regulations heavy. It's not easy. Uh, you have to go to the government. You have to get your documents. You have to make sure you have everything in place before starting to operate in the country. And it is only then that you start to deal with local dynamics. And Turkey, in many ways, in terms of the local dynamics, can be seen as the China of the Middle East, because despite it being a very large market, it has historically been uh, very hard to penetrate uh, by global players. Two examples I'll give are eBay and Uber. Uber has been in the Turkish market since 2015, but they are yet to grow. It's mainly because they haven't set a foothold in Uh, in, 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 in terms of having relationships with the regulators and local taxi drivers. eBay, similarly, uh, they bought a company here. They tried to operate it for a decade almost and they left Turkey. I think, I think it was three, four years ago. So it's a long story short. There are two main answers to your question. The first one is it's reasonably regulation heavy. So you should be able to deal with regulators and the government quite well. And the second is, Turkey has a lot of unique characteristics that make it hard to penetrate. And so it's best to be a Turkish player, to be building in the in the Turkish ecosystem. That's just the way it has been uh, for the last couple of decades. 
And we try to utilize that as an advantage as much as we can to grow in the Turkish market. Okay. Let's talk about founding, uh, Berke. Um, can you share with us, so how did you get started? Did you actually bootstrap a company? Did you raise capital right from the beginning? And what is your uh, current founding stage? So we started to do our market research in Q2, 2019. We launched the company uh, in the beginning of 2020. We've been actively generating revenue since 2021. And the first initial years were very difficult for us because we had to nail the model down. We, on purpose, stayed uh, quite frugal, quite disciplined in our spending. And the main reason was we were mainly focused on learning, uh, learning what the customers need, who our target segment is, both in terms of the carriers and in terms of the shippers. And once we felt that we had a good amount of learnings collected over a period, period of one year, we decided to um, fund the business ourselves initially, bootstrap it. And it is only last year that we got accepted into Y Combinator uh, in May, May 2022. And from there, we have raised a seed round of $2 million. And with that momentum, we'll be building, um, we'll be, we'll be building to become the market leader in Turkey. And hopefully in our Series A, we'll be, we'll be raising money to expand internationally. How did you find Michael? Oh, or maybe Michael found you. <laughs> Michael, you want to answer that or I can? For how you? did you guys meet? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Um, how, how did we find you? It's, um, we got in touch through, through, through YC, I think. No. Through YC demo day or right before. Maybe right before demo day, but we would not have found you through YC. There are, you know, a thousand companies, 99% of which we wouldn't touch. Yeah. It, it isn't worth the, the time. Who, who, made, who made the first move? Who, who, who approached who? Who was the first person to ask? I'm, what, looking, was for it, my, I'm yeah. looking for the first email. Okay, I mean, you, you probably remember. Did you actually actively approach Michael or Michael approached you? Yeah. I think it's a combination of both. We got introduced from what I remember, Max. Okay. Uh, someone reached out to me, but then we got introduced with Michael. So I think it's neither. That's from what I remember. That's, that's, that's how this whole dynamic played out. So apparently okay. you were talking with Dan Deke, our partner on LinkedIn. And yes. the first yes. email I have is from you to him saying, following up on our LinkedIn conversation here. Okay. Yes, so you exactly. have to tell me. Ah, you sent Dan a message six years ago. Okay, all right. Yeah, that oh. was for my previous And that was obviously yeah. something totally unrelated. Yeah. And so this <laughs> one was luck and coincidence. Exactly, exactly. Uh, this is very much in the realm of what we invest in. We've also invested in Truck It In in Pakistan, and, which is uh, full load, and Truckistan in Pakistan, which is less than full load. And we're looking at a number of other trucking companies in Africa. It's one of the yeah. models we like. So, so what made Camion in, uh, exciting for you, Michael? When you when you start talking to Becky and and what made you t- decide to invest so I, in, in the company? Can I open yeah. up a parenthesis and add something real quick about Michael yeah. and his team? Uh, we through through Y Combinator, we've had the good fortune of interacting with a lot of funds and a lot of investors who were potentially interested in the business. In terms of having a conversation with Michael and his team, I would say there were. 
the most knowledgeable team in the area. The question they the questions they asked and the and their understanding of the model was uh on part to none. So I just wanted to put that out there and make sure that we get <laughs> recorded with me saying this. Uh they they have put together a very good team that has a deep understanding of the space. I am not okay, closing thank you, Barkay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're on your side, Michael. What what makes well, you decide? And- that's basically the answer. There are some yeah. models that we have. We are model first investor. We find the models we like. We learn as much about them as we can. We talk to many different companies in that space and we identify the ones that we think are the best to invest in. And Camion was one of those that we decided was among the best. Okay. So, so by about- the time we talked to him, we talked to many companies in that space. Okay. Talking about model, so let's talk about revenue model maybe of, of Camion. If you could share with us, Berke, how do you make money? So we are a fully licensed freight broker shop. So what we do is we buy and sell the loads effectively. Now, let's say you are a shipper and I am Camion. I will invoice you the whole amount of the loads that I'm holding. This could be weekly, daily. Some ask for monthly invoices, which is fine. And then after the operations is complete, the trucker, the carrier invoices their own uh, their own services to Camion. So Camion makes revenue from the spread between these two: what I have bought from you and what I have sold. Sorry, what I have bought from the carrier and what I have sold to you. We make money from the spread effectively. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes it makes sense. And that spread, I want to understand because again, probably the shippers are used of working with traditional free PL or 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 I would say more traditional transportation company who already have been aggregating uh, small truckers. So that spread is would be much cheaper than the typical free PL that they will have. Well, it started off like that. Now it is not Uh, because as you establish yourself with your shippers in, 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 in the geography in general, uh, you don't want to keep on competing on prices forever. What you want to do is show them that you can build the technology, that you have high service levels, and that you operate with full transparency. And once people understand that, uh, you get very good numbers in terms of shipper retention. That, that, that's what we're, we've been seeing. Uh, almost none of the large shippers that we have started working with since the day we were founded uh, have left us. And that's a very important testament to our high service levels, to our ability in building technology, and to our uh, company culture. So once you have that in place, you are effectively moving up the market, not having to compete uh, with other 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 three PLs on prices as much as you used to. Doesn't mean that you don't ever do it. It just means that you now have a little bit more luxury on not competing on prices. I don't think we'll ever get to a place where we never compete on prices. I hope we do. But what we have seen is the amount of competition we see that's based on only pricing has been decreasing the more we operate. Yeah. Uh, let me, let's talk about your team and, uh, you know, the strength of your company. And also if you could give us some numbers, you know, the sales numbers, if you are able to share in a percentage also, it's fine actually. Sure. Sure. Uh, so we're right now a 16 person team and almost, I would say 45 to 50% of our of our team uh, is comprised of product people. And we try to pick product people from people who 
have some sort of a mobility background one way or the other, whether it be fleet management software, whether it be food delivery or whatnot. In terms of the operations team, we try to work with people who have had at least 10 years of experience in logistics and uh, who have experience in working with very large freight forwarders. Um, and then we have a couple of different quote-unquote departments. They are too small to be departments, we'll be, but, but I'll go ahead and call them departments anyway. We have a very strong marketing uh, muscle. We have a very strong strategy team, and we have a very strong finance uh, finance manager who helps us manage uh, all the issues related to finance. So to summarize it, you have to do three things very good. One is building the technology. The second is understanding operations. And the third is having your finances in place. And so we have built the company around those three pillars very carefully and selecting the hires uh, very competitively, basically. Uh, in terms of the sales numbers, to answer your question, we have worked with close to 75 shippers last month. Uh, we have close to 10,000 truckers on our platform. 2,000 of them are actively holding loads with us. And we have been growing quite fast uh, beginning 2023. We expect to at least triple our revenue uh, through the end of this year, but we are shooting for 10x growth. So we still have ways to go, but the initial numbers have been strong from what we see. Okay. What do you, what do, you do other than trucking your other hobbies? <laughs> Personal My own hobbies? <laughs> yeah, um, I like to I like to exercise uh and I like to read books. Um I that's a very good question mainly because it is something that I have been thinking about. I have played drums in high school, so I'm thinking of picking that back up. But um I could get more hobbies definitely. I have been spending so much time on kamyon. I want to get more hobbies in my uh in my interests, definitely for sure. Schedule. If Burkade's going to pick up drumming again, let's all pity his neighbors. Yeah, or my wife. Yeah, he could pity my wife as well. Yeah. Berkay, as a, as a founder and CEO of a company, what is your biggest challenge right now? What keep you awake at night and drive you crazy? Uh, um, uh, give you the biggest headache. I think it's. So we have talked about how our business is. Effectively, go big or go home. Uh, you can't build a small uh, trade forwarding shop if you are venture backed, especially if you have uh, strong investors who have high expectations. <laughs> and the main thing that keeps me up at night is: Are we executing um, accurately and fast enough? Both are very important. You have to make accurate decisions, and you have to move move fast. So. Are we baking this into the culture of the company? And are we becoming, um, um, are, do we have, are we becoming, beginning to have mental attrition? Are we beginning to become lazy? And that's, those are the things that keep me up at night. It's effectively questions of momentum and questions that will help you keep the momentum going. Um, and that's my main role as the CEO. And that's what I try to instill in the company while also making people, uh, keeping people happy. Uh, these are the main questions that I wrestle with day to day. Okay. Is there a temptation for Camion to go into a hybrid model? Because we've, we've talked with Shandan, remember Shandan, we had a number of interviews with companies in other countries where 
had similar concept and they were, you know, starting to lease warehouse and getting into operations and, you know, and trying to play the free PL on top of their digital marketplace. Is there a temptation here for you to, to go into op- uh, physical operations and, and support some of your clients with actual free PL services as well? Um, there is a temptation, but uh, you have to make uh, decisions very carefully and deliberately. And so what we have been looking at is there's two routes. You could either become a full-fledged 3PL going down to the LTL market, less than truckload market, leasing warehouses and filling one truck with multiple loads from multiple shippers. You could go into, uh, and, and you could, you could, you could complement that with, uh, international shipping services and whatnot, just as a, like an international freight forwarder. Or you could, Wait and see if you have the scale to become a full-fledged digital platform that allows people to buy gasoline, to buy tires, to buy secondhand trucks, to have access to credit lines through your digital platform. The second one is more scalable. Uh, the first one is relatively uh, more in reach. So it's a function of your ambition as a company. It's a function of your risk appetite. These are questions that we are still thinking of. and. Long story short, to answer your question, yes, there's a temptation, but it is something that I want to deliberately think about for a while whilst we're still scaling the platform because I think it's an irreversible decision and you have to be very deliberate about it. Yeah. Michael, what's your take on this on that hybrid model that we've seen in many other startups? Um, I think that to begin with, there is a huge amount to be done just in Camion's core business. You know, this is a huge, huge industry and the focus should be on building it and building it profitably. The, what we see is that all of these companies become fintechs and he should be moving in that direction with um, financing the transport, right? There's always a um, disconnect between when the shipper wants to pay and when the trucker wants to get paid. And providing credit facility into that, that's a big opportunity right there. And then providing other services that make you stickier and stickier, where the small trucker wants to stick with you and the shipper feels he needs to stick with you. If they go beyond that, I don't see any reason to go into less than full load. But what about B2B warehousing? Managing the warehousing side for people. We've got an investee in Pakistan that is doing that and very successfully with a number of big MNC customers as well as all of the big Pakistan uh, brands and um, and B2B, um, B2B e-commerce companies. This is where I would be looking rather than extending out into, you know, oh, let's finance uh, trucks, right? You find, well, find it, oh, I should, I should take that back. Asset-based financing for trucks becomes a very interesting thing because you can take the payment for the truck out of the payment that you owe to the trucker for his uh, trips. Yeah. Now you're in a pole position to get repaid. It takes a lot of the risk out of it. It gives you an advantage that nobody else can. So you're building this ecosystem where other people effectively cannot compete. It becomes an unfair advantage. But you mm. should be looking for extensions like that, not just, oh, what else can we do in trucking? Yeah. yeah. This, uh, just wanted to ask you about uh, you know, environmental, like now we have uh, you know, carbon footprint and sustainability. 
So how, because most of the trucking guys now have to get involved with the carbon footprint because that is going to be another norms that they're going to set in every countries. So do you have, how, how are you going to go about on this topic? Yeah, I can, uh, I can go ahead and answer that if you want me to. Yeah. So I'll give you a number in, in 2018, uh, this is 2018's data and I don't think the data changed very much, but right now, Let's assume that when I go out to a highway and if I stop 100 trucks on a Turkish highway, approximately 37 of them are traveling without a load. They're empty. That has around, uh, per my last calculations, up to billions of dollars in uh, impact to the Turkish economy and to the environment as well. What we're doing is we're building a layer on top of these trucks that helps us collect data and see which one is traveling empty, what the status of each one is. Each 1% reduction you have in this number, the 36.6 is the exact number, gets you $370 million in revenue, and it also decreases carbon footprint. So through this way of thinking, uh, through always measuring this, and through measuring our effect on that number, I think we can do two things simultaneously. One, respect the environment, reduce the carbon footprint through filling up trucks more efficiently. Two, have higher levels of revenue. It's very rare that you have an opportunity like this as a company where you can shoot for higher revenues and decrease carbon footprints. And it's a problem that we think about consistently. And it's something that we have our eye on uh, always, I can tell you that. And I think it's a very good question. And I think every company should be thinking of ways of reducing waste, whatever their industry is. Okay, uh, Becky, as we are near the end of this interview, I would like to get your advice. Uh, what kind of advice will you give to a founder or someone who wants to start uh, a business, uh, launch a startup, uh, focusing, for example, on logistics or supply chain? What would be your you one advice you will you will give him. So can I give two, Max? Yeah, you can give two. Okay. <laughs> so 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 the first one would be to ask the right questions. Um, what I mean by that is you should be asking what a ten star experience looks like for your customers, whether it be shippers or carriers, and build the company backwards from the answer to that question. And the second one would be think in terms of an or function instead of an and oh, sorry in terms of an and function instead of an or function what i mean by that is you should be able to walk and shoot gun at the same time you should be able to move fast as a company and make accurate decisions at the same time you should be able to work very hard and have fun at the same time these shouldn't be mutually exclusive and once you once you once you start realizing that your whole view of approaching work changes i think uh, those would be my two cents on the question Okay. All right. So I've got some uh, quick uh, uh, questions for you just to wrap up again uh, this episode. Uh, you can answer, Becky. Also, Michael, you're more than welcome to answer Let's if you want. Uh, cats or dogs? Cats. Same Michael? here. We have okay. three. Window or aisle? Aisle. Aisle. Um, one of your favorite movie you've seen recently? And one movie will comes up? Lord of the Rings trilogy. Okay, all right. That's a no movie. Uh, Michael? 
Well, I, you know, you're going to laugh because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm old school. So my last uh, movie that I watched with my kids was um, for Christmas, my favorite Christmas movie, which was Die Hard, right? Okay. The best Christmas movie ever made. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite sandwich? Reuben. Okay, Michael? Oh, um, I'd say sausages with mustard. Okay. What's the most used app on your phone right now? The one, the app that you, you always look at and, and use all day long? Oh, do we count email apps? We shouldn't count email apps, right? No, no, no email apps. Okay. Something, okay. something. I would say funky. Calm. Calm, the meditation app, Calm. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, okay. For me, it's Chrome. I'm sorry, Chrome. I'm living my life on the internet. I can't say Chrome. I don't think you can't say Chrome. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Something else than Chrome. Chrome is, <laughs> oh, yeah. is it's Chrome not is an app. I mean, I, I live my life on Chrome, email, and LinkedIn. But okay. time, there are other apps. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite tool to build your company right now? The software tool? Yeah, software tool, yeah. Slack, I would say Slack. We integrate, we use Slack's APIs quite extensively. Uh, we have found it useful. So I'd say Slack for now. Okay. Michael? Well, we're on Google, Monday, and Slack. Okay. Describe the rest of your life in five words. Where do you see yourself in 20, 30 years from now um, doing? Five. Okay. I'd say work hard, stay focused, be happy. Um, those would be the adjectives <laughs> mm-hmm. in terms of what I'm doing. Uh, I love what I do. Uh, so I'll probably continue to continue to work for an extended period of my amount of time, probably t- until I'm 60 or 70. And after retirement, I'll spend, um, um, I'll allocate all of my time to helping people and spending time with loved ones. Not that I'm not doing these right now. I'll just focus on them more. Okay. Michael. Well, 30 years from now will be my 80s, and I will be enjoying my revenge on my children while watching them try to deal with their kids. <laughs> I am so looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good answer. Thank you, guys, again, for uh, spending the time today. It was great having uh, having you back here, Michael, uh, for you know for this interview. Thanks a lot. Yeah, our pleasure. Great. Thank you, Thank Max. You. Thank you, Shantan. Thanks, Shandan, for joining us also. And uh, so that was, again, the Chentech uh, interview uh, with, uh, you know, Camion and the investor. Um, so I hope you appreciate it. And we'll see you again next time. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you all. Thank you.